Hello and welcome to the Minnesota Family Law Podcast. The podcast by, with, for, and about family law professionals. My name is Tom Tuft and I am a family law attorney with the law firm of Tuft, Locke, Jerebeck, and O'Connell. This is going to be a longer episode because my guest today has a lot of important information to share. She has a varied background in the law. She has been a public defender. She has been in private practice and family law. She has worked for a legal aid agency. And for the past 18 years, she has been a Minnesota district court judge sitting in Pine County. She has served on and chaired several court committees, including the state E&E committee. She has served as an at-large member of the Judicial Council for the last six years. And most importantly to us right now, she is the chair of the Other Side Work Group, which is charged with developing policy approaches to getting the courts through the pandemic. She is going to share how they gather information, generate ideas, and where they are in their work. I do not envy her in this role, but I'm very pleased to have a chance to talk to the Honorable Krista Martin. Judge Martin, I know you're incredibly busy right now, so I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, talk and join, join me on my podcast. Oh, it's no problem at all. I'm happy to do it. So you are the chair of the Other Side Work Group. Um, can you tell us what that is and, and what you're working on? I can. So um, I was uh, asked to chair the Other Side Work Group by uh, Chief Justice Lori Gilday, Uh, She was very interested in immediately starting planning for um, how we are going to address our work when we get to what we've been calling the new normal on the other side of the pandemic. Um, um, She wanted the group to be uh, small and how she referred to it, nimble, able to, you know, kind of um, quickly come up with a plan and be able to uh, make um, proposals that will that could be supported uh, by the count the judicial council as a whole and um, used throughout the state. So the committee is made up of um, myself, um, Judge uh, Jessen of the Minnesota Court of Appeals, uh, Judge Catherine Meserick, who is the chief judge of the first judicial district, and Heather Kendall, who is the um, district administrator for the second district, and Jeff Shorba, who is the state court administrator. And then we have a number a number of uh, staff who assist on the committee from uh, state court administration. The uh, committee started its work almost immediately after we um, you know, uh, started um, the stay-at-home uh, uh, order of the, the executive branch. And uh, we meet remotely, of course. Um, we meet regularly and often. And we uh, framed up our work into what we became, what became clear to us is that we needed to start not only looking at what was going to happen on the other side of the pandemic, but immediately start making some recommendations for getting our work done right now. Because the more, of course, the more work we can do now, not only the Uh, fewer cases will we have on backlog, but, you know, certainly we want to be able to uh, get the work done that we can do for the people of the state of Minnesota. So we started um, uh, strategizing what we can do right now and then what we can do in the transition. And we actually haven't even started strategizing yet on what we're going to do on the other side because that has taken, you know, a lot of effort and Mm -hmm. time. So we started with some um, 
assumptions um, that we have that have guided our work, and uh, then we put together for each line of business, um, family, civil, juvenile, child protection, um, and criminal. We put together. Um, uh, work that we can start doing right now and some policies and procedures and then the same for the transition phase. Well, so that's a lot coming at you and I'm assuming there's different priorities, you know, in custody criminal might be very different than, you know, a, a civil matter. Is, is that a part of it? Sure. Well, initially what happened was we knew that there was work that we had to do that we, you know, that just had to be done. And that would include, um, you know, bail hearings for in-custody defendants and, um, you know, emergency protective care hearings for child protection cases and um, hearings on civil commitment matters. Um, And we knew that we needed to set up a plan to address those. That was actually done by the Judicial Council very quickly when we started, you know, when the stay-at-home order went into place. Mm-hmm. And actually, slightly before that, we, we had a council meeting in March. And at that meeting, we talked about, we, we strategized, you know, very quickly because this happened so, you know, kind of all of a sudden. Um, we strategized how we were going to um, get, you know, what we were going to do and how we were going to get it done. And that was the genesis of the Chief Justice's first administrative order. We did have a pandemic um, protocol already in place um, for the state. This was, of course, a little bit different um, and longer lasting than what we might have, you know, that plan would have been um, available for. And the idea that we can't be together, you know, has Mm -hmm. added a complexity. But um, we certainly had kind of a starting point there. And then we just started, um, so, so that work was already getting done. We, and we, um, you know, right away, uh, a lot of places like in Pine County, we're able to, we have ITV, we're able to do our in custodies by ITV. We got the word out to our criminal justice partners that they should be appearing remotely. A lot of us, um, our, the court, the uh, county board shut our buildings down. So we were all trying to operate, you know, without having uh, public access to the building and working with our county board and our county administrators on that issue. So there was a lot of work immediately that was done to try to make to make sure that we could get the, you know, the work done that absolutely had to be done. So that included um, hearings for in-custody defendants other than um, jury trials, of course. And also um, we... Um, like I said, we did EPC hearings for children, uh, child protection cases. Okay. Uh, we still, of course, do all of our reviews. We can still sign everything remotely because so much of our work, all of our work is uh, able to be done, our paperwork is able to be done remotely because everything's e-filed. So we were still able to review order for protections, harassment restraining orders. We immediately put into place a process for dealing with OFPs. Um, and HROs and addressing, um, you know, those emergency situations sure. that needed some immediate address, address to be addressed immediately and what perhaps could be, you know, wait until we could gather together again in the courtrooms. And um, then that was after that work was done, that's when the other side committee was formed and we started the process of going, okay, so what else can we do right now? 
I can certainly talk about those assumptions if you think that would be helpful, you know, what we use to guide our work. I, yeah, I, I would be very interested. I know, um, you know, most of the people who listen to this podcast are family law uh, professionals of various sorts and um, kind of we're always okay. interested in how we got there. So I'd love to hear about that. Okay. So the strategies that guided our work were that the recovery transition was going to be fluid. We knew that, and I think this analogy has been used a lot, um, but we're not going to switch on the light switch, right? We're going to, um, we knew that we were, we would, once the stay-at-home order was lifted, that we wouldn't just open the doors of the courthouse and it wouldn't be back to business as usual, and that it might be a long time before we were business as usual. So we uh, knew we needed to be flexible, both to ramp up our work. And then, of course, we also talked about the fact that if there was, you know, a resurgence of the illness Mm -hmm. in the fall or winter, that we might need to ramp back down again. And so we needed some flexibility and an understanding that we would be doing this in phases. We recognized that we were going to need some statewide solutions, that we would um, have to be looking kind of um, as a whole system, a whole state system for solutions. Um, We also, however, appreciate that local approaches, plans, and support are going to be needed to address local specific issues and that we would need to work with our uh, justice partners. We recognize that the branch should leverage what we're learning now. You know, a lot of work has been done in a very short period of time, Mm -hmm. and we need to be able to leverage that to um, perhaps use that as we face a backlog of cases um, when we're on the other side, so to speak. We recognize that the use of Supreme Court orders would be necessary, and in fact, the Chief Justice has issued some administrative orders and just recently did again, I believe on Friday, when um, in response to the governor's extension of the stay-at-home order. And then we realized that outreach to our justice partners was going to be very necessary. So um, what happened was um, state court administration set up um, a series of um, phone meetings with our justice partners in each line of business. We did Mm -hmm. talk to the family law bar uh, last week, as well as on Friday, we had a meeting with the uh, legal aid service providers and um, gave them the same information that I'm giving to you now about our assumptions and our plan. And then, you know, got a lot of really good feedback as well. And this committee is going to continue to meet. In fact, we have a meeting tomorrow, um, and we are going to assess some of that feedback and, um, you know, start working on our transition plan more robustly. Um, So our our short-term strategies, like I said, what we decided to do was to – focus on what can we do right now. And a lot of work has been done by the IT departments around the state and the districts to try to get us some remote access to uh, video conferencing and virtual courtrooms and Zoom. Some uh, districts Mm -hmm. are using Zoom to um, be able to hold some virtual hearings. So we, and that was advantageous. And like I said before, luckily, you know, we have e-filing, so we (laughs) have access to our files remotely as well. A lot of our staff uh, are working remotely from home, and so that whole transition had to occur pretty quickly as well, as well as judges. So what we decided uh, we could do right now was start talking about, in family law cases in particular, um, some uh, strategies for holding a uh, a hearing remotely. 
we recognize that for family cases, those remote hearings could be held um, through our virtual meeting room or Zoom or some other form of video mm-hmm. conference, as well as by telephone. Um, so we decided that um, we would address the minimum standards for a, hear, uh, a remote hearing in each case type. And for family cases, we decided that the parties and the attorneys don't need to be visible to the judge, that they can join by phone, um, that uh, others should be permitted to attend the hearings and have access to that, uh, those hearings, for instance, advocates um, okay. and other support persons. We um, talked about um, expanding paper review. And so um, we know that lawyers, family lawyers, are very anxious. We heard this on our phone calls to get some temporary relief for their clients and have some temporary issues addressed. And so we talked about perhaps um, suggesting that um, if there's a waiver of uh, the hearing, that the judge could make those temporary, issue a temporary order on the pleadings, on the filings, uh, if that was acceptable to the parties and their attorneys. We um, talked about continuing to hold our initial case management conferences, which we have done, and um, our um, our providers are handling those by Zoom, and so we're able to still schedule and get um, parties to an a evaluation um, pretty quickly. We um, talked about not canceling our pre-trials. Now, trials are the trick, of yep, course, yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> as you can imagine. Yep. Um, so much of trial work requires um, the receipt of exhibits, um, maybe um, objections to those exhibits and a ruling on those objections. And, you know, a judge as a fact finder is um, required to make um, credibility decisions uh, at trial and those credibility decisions are going to be more difficult to make if the individuals are not, you know, the witnesses are not in the courtroom uh, testifying uh, before the court. So um, we didn't, and a lot of trials, of course, have been um, postponed. Mm-hmm. So, and what you'll hear us talk about is the pandemic review code. So um, just to back up for a moment, when we canceled our calendars, we wanted to be able to have a way of identifying how many cases were canceled and what the what's what was happening with them. So they developed what they call the pandemic code for our MINSA system. So the clerks are putting that code in, that p- pandemic code, for those cases that have been uh, uh, canceled as a result of the pandemic. So we now have what we call a pandemic dashboard. We can go back and see what those cases are, have them pulled up on a report, and also um, how many cases um, were continued in every case type. So um, so people will probably hear, lawyers will probably hear us referring, the court referring to the pandemic code, and that's what we're talking about. Okay. I have, I have already heard so, that, actually. Um, <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, have you heard that before? Yeah, yeah yes. what that means, right? Um, so, uh, so we... Um, knew that um, the trials had been, you know, canceled and given a pandemic code. And we wondered, you know, what would we, what could we do for those cases that needed to be tried? And um, certainly cases, trials, uh, court trials, uh, and 
of course, jury trials for speedy trial demands, that's going to be our number one focus when we can start doing those. But when we start opening our courtrooms up, we talked about continuing to do remote hearings mm-hmm. as much as we could or paper review as much as you know the lawyers were comfortable with uh, continuing that. And then the question is, what do we do about our trials? So like I said, we decided not to cancel our pre-trials because, as you know, that's a really great opportunity to maybe resolve your yeah. case or um, get some input from the court and, and, and maybe get a final resolution. So yes. we said, let's keep those pre-trials on remotely to the extent that we can. And then, you know, there might be a play, uh, there might be some counties, uh, judges, uh, lawyers who might be interested in trying to pilot a, a remote trial um, and ha- have to work out how to get the exhibits to the court, how to rule on any objections to those exhibits. Uh, we'd, you know, have to be able to see people to make credibility decisions. Um, and so that that isn't a, a, that is like a part of our plan from the perspective that yes, we would like to see some pilots and see some judges and lawyers trying that if they can make it work. And then let's get some information back. You know, let's, when that Mm -hmm. happens, let's start talking to those folks. Like, how did it go? What were the problems? What were the hurdles? And see if we can get some feedback. But right now in this phase, we're really focusing on getting some temporary orders done, doing what we can on paper, and doing as much as we can uh, by either phone or video conferencing. Now, I have heard from some judges around the state that this has, even this phase is difficult because, um, you know, you need a record. And yeah. so um, that has been the other piece is getting our court reporters set up remotely and able to take the record remotely. And and some, some districts are farther ahead than others. I know that that's going to lead to some people being frustrated because things might happen differently yeah. in some county in counties and, and districts than others. But I've just asked the family bar to you know appreciate um, the fact that we're just trying to do what we can. I mean, that's I think the hallmark of this phase right now is let's do all the things that we can do. Let's mm-hmm. not worry about it might not be exactly equal. <laughs> it, you know, it might not be that everybody's doing things um on the same time frame, we're all trying to rev up and get our work done, um, but but really, we're just trying to do every single thing that we can right now to get the people's business done, and to and to do what we can so that we're not continuing to delay it uh, when we get to a point when we're focusing on, you know, things like like criminal jury trials that are going to take a lot of our time and energy when we get to the other side. So. Um, we did talk about um, perhaps, um, you know, expanding the use of adjunct judicial officers and maybe even some judicial specialization statewide and some regional approaches to Kate's resolution and start kind of looking at that now in this phase to see if that might be helpful if you had people who are kind of specialized in sure. the work. Um, if we're able to do things remotely, we don't have boundary issues anymore, people driving to courthouses. So that might be something we could do to help out as well to get the work done um, is to have some specialties. Uh, we uh, talked about maybe expanding hours to address the family backlog. You know, could we do remote calendars in the afternoon or evenings um, or Saturday? 
uh, if we need to do that to get the backlog taken care of. And again, we're not in a place right now where we can start that, but we recognize people are probably not going to want to come to court they don't, if they can get back to work, right? I mean, we've right. had people who have not yes. been working for a long time. And so maybe, and then the other thing is this might, when we do come back to our courthouses, limit the number of people who are here if we have, you know, um, you know, different court sessions and not everybody kind of piled on to one calendar. Yeah, it's an no, elbow to elbow in some of those smaller courtrooms is not appealing no at this kidding. point. <laughs> and, you know, and out in the hallways right. and in the conference, you know, I mean, it's just, um, and then, you know, like uh, entering the building, leaving the building, uh, standing at the public terminals. I mean, there's all kinds of things, you know, that people do that, um, that cause them to have interaction, you know, with each other. And so certainly we know that we're going to, when we come back to our buildings, have to continue to observe social distancing. And um, we are trying to, you know, county each have each county sort of take a look at their courtrooms and start thinking about that. We just got some input from the Minnesota Department of Health. So that was the other part of this phase. Let's reach out to the experts, right? Let's get some information. What can we do in our unique situation of running court houses? How can we um, do that and make sure that people's health and safety are protected? And we have received some feedback, and we're going to start processing that and getting some protocols in place. But I think the most important thing for family practitioners right now is to think about, you know, can I, can I have the judge make the decision by just submitting the paperwork? Don't hold off on filing your requests for things that can be signed. You know, if you have mm -hmm. stipulations, if you have, um, you know, agreements, if you have orders for uh, parenting expediters um, or, those, or those kinds of things, you know, get them in. We, we absolutely can sign, right? And that's something we can't, you know, we can do to keep the work moving. So, so don't feel like you can't don't feel like you can't go ahead and keep filing that stuff and that it can be addressed remotely. I had a same, uh, same day turnaround on a couple of those stipulations, <laughs> which was well, sure. <laughs> I know. not the norm in, I, previously. I was so. thinking that too. I got one the other day and it came in and I pulled it up and I read it and I looked at the file and I signed it and it was like a half an hour later. Yep. And I thought, Oh my gosh, that's probably the fastest anyone's gotten their work back. Right. Yes. So, but this is the work we can do. And I just am saying that the concern is that, you know, once we get to the other side, you can imagine we're going to have a, a significant backlog of speedy trial demands on our criminal cases and contested hearings on our criminal cases and just criminal cases, you right. know, in general, because it is, it is very hard sometimes to, um, to, to have, um, defendants available remotely, um, just technology and those kinds of things. So, so I'm just saying this is an opportunity maybe to, yeah, get your stuff signed quickly and reviewed quickly. Right. I, um, and again, you know, the more you can waive that hearing, the more you can agree to let things be done on paper, probably the, the better, you know, the, the the more likely the court will be able to accommodate you. I guess is what I should say. So. Yeah. Well, and I've had an opportunity with this podcast to talk to judicial officers and attorneys around the state. And I, um, in fact, Nancy Berg, who I just talked to uh, a little bit ago, 
is involved internationally, and they're hearing the same things from the courts around the world that you know they're they're trying to provide services. And the line she keeps using is the the court is a service, not a place, and we got to figure out innovative ways to um, you know access that that service uh, for us. And it sounds like that's coming online um, already, if not, and and continuing to grow now. So yes. And I think, you know, this is one of those things that we might continue, like we will in our transition phase, continue to leverage, need to Mm -hmm. leverage for family cases because our courthouses are going to need to be used for those things that people have to be present for. Sure. And so, um, so the more, uh, the more robust we can be in getting used to this, uh, I think the better off we're going to be. And you know, I, I think before we went on air, we t- um, we were just having a conversation, and I told you how I feel anxious, and um, because nobody knows how this is all going to turn out, and I think that's generally true of people. There, there's just so much anxiety mm-hmm. uh, surrounding this pandemic, not only from our social isolation, but um, you know, fears of getting sick, uh, financial pressures, um, and. I think that um, who knows, right? I mean, if we might be the rest of the summer and into the fall before we have back our ability to fully operate like we did before, should we operate like we did before? You know, what can we learn from this time as well? But um, but I think the more we can we can embrace our remote abilities um, and our willingness to be flexible. I think the better off the family bar will be in getting their work, you know, done and addressed. Well, and I think there's some advantages, you know, the hundreds of dollars that people pay for their attorneys to drive to court, um, you know, in the Twin Cities, but even more in the, in the less populous areas um, to, to to say that so we can, you know, just be there. We're on at nine o'clock and away we go instead of, um, you know, starting at eight o'clock. Uh, to you know, to drive to a, a remote location. So there's a little bit of that, well, especially in the mediations. And that's a good point. I mean, that's the other thing about these remote hearings. We we have to schedule them for time certain. Right. So if you're, you know, there might be a little bit of a delay if the hearing before goes long, but for the most part, if you're scheduled for a 9:30 hearing, you're going to have a 9:30 hearing. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah. that's that's really nice and. Um, We've actually had a lot of criminal defendants who've been asking to have their cases heard uh, this way because then they don't have to try to get to the courthouse, you know. Right. They can have their plea hearing or do their sentencing. And and um, and so, you know, we have been in that line of business. We've also been doing those kinds of cases as well. Um, and that takes a lot of the video technology that we have is to do felonies um, remotely. So, you know, you might, the phone might be the better option. Again, remember that every time you have a hearing, other than maybe an ICMC, uh, there needs to be a court reporter component. So if the family bar is feeling that some places aren't, you know, able to address things remotely, um, it might be that that still is being worked out. Um, And I think that, um, again, you know, if you really just think about Look, if I submit an affidavit and I'm comfortable submitting a letter explaining my client's position, you know, let's just get a temporary order in place mm-hmm. for possession of the homestead or 
for, um, you know, an understanding of who's going to use the car or um, what the visitation schedule or parenting time schedule is going to look like or, um, you know, those kinds of things or who's going to pay the house payment, right? That stuff that just needs to be taken care of right away. Um, maybe you're comfortable with judges doing that without having to have a hearing. And um, so that's certainly certainly something to consider. So. Well, Judge Martin, I certainly appreciate your time. This has been really insightful. And, you know, I mean, I I knew things were moving and that people were planning and discussing, but it certainly is um, great to hear from the person who's really in the know. Oh, well, that's nice of you to say. (laughs) I wish I knew more. I wish I had a crystal ball, right? Oh, we all do, yes. Yeah, we do. Thank you, Tom. She must be one of the busiest people in the state right now. If you did not get the message, then what I heard is that we should consider allowing motions to be heard on written submissions only and without a hearing. I know things are loosening up. I've heard from many colleagues who've had telephone or video motion hearings, ICMCs, even a pretrial or two. And I, I know several colleagues are scheduled for video trials and are very concerned about how that is going to play out. Clearly the court is looking to hear how that's playing out as well. Tomorrow, we will speak with Tiffany Walters, chair of the Family family Law Section of the Minnesota State Bar Association. Once again, we have come to the end of an episode. So to my Family Law colleagues, I say thanks for listening, and I look forward to continuing these discussions. Now take care of yourself and your family so you can take care of your clients and your business. 